0: The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily express those held by this station or its advertisers, and are strictly the opinions held by those contributing to the show. Welcome to the Eric Little High School Football Podcast, your home for news, discussion, and opinions about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley. And now, here's your host, Eric Little. Thank you for joining us on another edition of the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. This is episode five. We thank you for making us a part of your week somehow. We've got a lot to Talk about after a busy week one. We'll also have this week's poll. We'll set you up with next week's games of the week, and we'll take a look at next week's poll as well. So, a lot to talk about here in the program today. Some impressions from week one. We found out a lot about a lot of area teams, I think, in week one because so much of what we had talked about in August is what we thought these teams might do, and now we have an idea of what they will do and what they need to work on to get to where they need to be. And I think a team that has a lot of potential to get somewhere pretty pretty far by the end of the year is Williamstown, and the same could really be said of a lot of Terry Smith teams. They, maybe more than any other program in the area, do the best at improving from Week 1 to Week 11 and into the playoffs. I thought Williamstown needed to execute a little bit better, and and I'm sure they would have said the same thing in the 33 nothing loss to Wheeling Central, but I really think the Yellow Jackets are going to be okay if they can survive the tough schedule, and we'll talk more about their game here this week in just a little bit. They have Magnolia this week, but if they can survive a tough schedule and it doesn't get a lot easier, easier. I think Williamstown is going to be okay. The quarterback Carter Haynes looked really good. I Had a couple passes to Donathan Taylor, who was wide open, and he he just was overthrown once, and then one hit off his hands. They were outstretched the second time, and if he makes either of those plays, that's six. Uh, Haynes had a couple receivers that were open, but the ball was dropped, and there's some offensive line penalties and false starts that I know Terry Smith was not pleased with, but honestly, I think things are going to be okay for the Yellow Jackets if they can survive this tough schedule, if they can eliminate some of those mistakes, and just execute. ...execute a lot better. The talent is there with this Williamstown team. The depth may not be, but again, if the Yellow Jackets can stay healthy and survive that schedule... They've got the pieces in place to be a special team this year. How many of you watch PHS on TV this week? I know I did. The Big Reds struggled with tackling. They struggled with stopping the run and with kick coverage. But they were right back in the game after being down 17-0. Like Williamstown, because Williamstown was in their game with Wheeling Central down 14-0. And they look confident and poised. PHS looked confident and poised. They took advantage of Morgantown's mistakes. And that's something that Williamstown did not do when Wheeling Central made mistakes. But that game turned on a dime on that kickoff return for touchdown that Morgantown had late in the second quarter. Things got away from PHS really quickly. Morgantown owned the second half, and they went on to win uh, 45-35. And again, you have a PHS defense that allowed a lot of scoring. So we'll see if they can lock that down in week two, and it won't be easy as they'll have a pretty tough test. A team that I thought looked pretty good in Week 1. How about Parkersburg South? They looked really good, especially in the run game in their big win against Ripley, 27-7. to And you have to take notice of the efforts of Nick Yoho, the South senior, ran for 229 yards and three scores on just 20 carries in the contest. A great way to start his senior year. A great athlete. Maybe someone who does not get the attention that he deserves when compared to athletes from around the state. Good young man. Good effort in the opener for South. And the Patriots go to 1-0 for the first time since 2000. But he wasn't the only thing that looked good. The Patriots buckled down on defense at a couple big spots. They turned Ripley running back RJ Evans into a non-factor in that game. The offensive line looked good, despite a group that's really been patchworked together after some injuries, and they're kind of a young group. They've not played together in their current spots for a while. But the thing that most impressed me that I maybe underestimated would be there in week one was the progression of Braden Mooney as a quarterback. It's a second full year as a starter. Mooney's a senior, and he looked really good, really sharp, and really confident running that south offense. He made good throws, good decisions put the ball on the money when he needed to. And if he can do that, and if the receivers can help him when they need to, and if South can keep that running game going, they're going to be a tough matchup with PHS toward the end of the year, unless the Big Reds can learn to stop the run. How about Parkersburg Catholic? They went winless all of 2017. They had a big win on opening night against Peyton City. Congratulations to second-year head coach Lance Beneger. He gets his first win there. And after the game, he dropped to a knee and popped the question to his girlfriend Sophie. Sophie Kennard, someone that I've known for a while. She used to play for Tyler Consolidated when I covered Tyler Consolidated girls basketball. Dating Lance Benninger, and now engaged to Lance Beninger, and a congratulations from this program to those two. Two fine people, and I hope they're happy together. Ritchie County gets a nice upset win over Tyler Consolidated, and it was their young talent that really did it for them. And I hope I'm pronouncing this young man's name right, Caden Procacina, with a big day offensively and defensively. Some big tackles for loss. Also holding a five-yard touchdown strike from quarterback Gabe Ray. A big night for him and a big day for Ritchie County head coach Rick Haught, who got his first win in his first game and upset a pretty good Tyler Consolidated team. And everyone who's seen this team says they're going to be fun to watch this year. Quarterback Griffin Phillips and running back Mark Rucker, they each had over 150 yards rushing on the evening. So this Ritchie County defense allowed 300 yards on the ground and still won. Just goes to show you that they may be a little bit more special than we think and maybe a bit of a surprise this season. And Tyler Consolidated has plenty of weapons as well though they will have a difficult test this week. So a lot out of that matchup, as we said, Ritchie County allowed more than 300 yards, but they also ran 52 times for 318 yards themselves, with 175 of those coming from Trey Moss and 120 from Garrett Owens. So again, that's a Ritchie County team that we need to keep an eye on throughout the season. And Magnolia looks strong in their shutout of Sherman. Of course, the defense looks good in the shutout. How about quarterback Patrick Morandi, the senior, through three touchdown passes? When I visited with Dave Chapman, the Magnolia head coach for our Facebook preview series off the air, he said to me, you know, I can't say enough things about Patrick Morandi. A good young man, a talented athlete, 7 of 14 under center, 173 yards throwing and three touchdowns. A big effort from him to start his senior year and he'll be key in what Magnolia does this year. they will have another tough one this week in a game we'll talk about here later on in the program. So all told, I think it was a really strong first week. I think a lot of area teams showed out in ways that uh, we expected them to see, but we got some surprises. And again, there's always a lot of things that surprise you, good and bad. But by and large, the surprises were things that were good this year. A lot of the area teams stepped up and proved that the optimism that we heard from them at the beginning of the year was founded in something. And everybody is optimistic in week one. It's interesting to talk to coaches in August because everyone sounds like they can win a state championship, but we really did see a lot of teams in week one that hit the maximum of their expectations. So we'll see if they can build from that and we'll see if they can turn that into some positive play and positive seasons as we go on. Stay connected with us on Facebook, like our page, the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. While you're there, answer our weekly poll question and feel free to share your comments or questions. Eric will get to those on a future edition of the show. Time to look at this week's poll question. This week's poll question was different than the other ones in that it wasn't a yes-no answer. I wanted to try this and see what it looked like. The question I asked last week, what's the rule or policy change you'd most like to see adopted for high school football by the WVSSAC? and why. And I'll tell you mine because one of the posters agreed 100% with what I would want to say. Eric Johnson says intentional grounding by the quarterback needs revised to be more like other levels of football to allow a quarterback to get rid of the ball if he has to. Same rule should apply to high school where he has to be out of the pocket the ball has to pass the line of scrimmage, etc. I believe the rule in high school currently penalizes the quarterback anytime he gets rid of the ball. Now, I think it's called too strictly in high school as a means of player safety. If we're talking about protecting high school athletes and we're talking about protecting football players in general, which has been a topic of some consideration at all levels of football. Why not make a mechanism where the quarterback can get rid of the football? We're starting to see more passing in West Virginia high school football than what we had seen maybe 20 years ago. So I think there need to be rules to better protect the passer. As I see it, this is one that does. It lets the quarterback get rid of the football on a play that's going nowhere so that person isn't drilled into the ground or hit hard. And if they are, then throw the flag. Fine. But I think from a player's safety standpoint, uh, that's where you have the best chance of getting that done, and that's where you have the best chance of seeing that argument through. Craig Dutton again writes, Clarify the transfer rule for all public and private schools to where student-athletes sit out regardless of the situation for transferring, or every athlete can play regardless of the transfer situation. Too many fans, coaches, and athletes are getting caught up in the private and public issue humanity that every school must abide by a certain set of transfer rules, then I think the private and public situation will calm down. I think that's a major part of the private-public issue, we're going to get to that in a second, but definitely the transfer rule needs clarified, and that's something that you almost want to say the NFHS ought to make, because, you know, look at a place like this where you've got a river that separates two different states, and it's just as easy for kids to transfer from St. Mary's to Frontier as it is for kids to transfer from St. Mary's to Ritchie County, or to Williamstown, or Parkersburg, or Title Consolidated. you got that river that's an arbitrary line, but sometimes the rules in West Virginia and the rules in Ohio are vastly different. So I feel like it's got to be either one thing or another thing at the national level. And if individual districts want to make their own policies, then that's fine. That's up to them. But I agree with Craig. That's something that has to be cleaned up. I'm going to dig a little bit for one here because when Craig shared this status, when Craig shared my post about the question, I saw a response that I didn't get anywhere else. My friend, Michael Wolf, former high school baseball teammate, He responded with a private school reclassification as the thing that he would like to see or see done. I've looked at that a number of times, and I get that private school, public school issue. It rears its head in some sports. I don't think it's as big of a deal in football as it is in things like basketball or baseball or softball even. And again, because you look at a school like St. Mary's, who played Wheeling Central, a Catholic school, in the state championship game last year, I'm going to stop every argument with the fact St. Mary's still should have won that football game. There's no question about it. St. Mary's had every chance to win in that football game on Wheeling Island last year, and they didn't do it. They did not play as well as they needed to play. They were terrible on third down. They weren't good in the red zone. And they turn the ball over too many times. I don't care who you're playing, you're not going to win. They just happen to be a Catholic school that they gave those opportunities to. So I think that's not a relevant argument for at least football in that regard, but still, I understand the point. There are things that Catholic schools do that not every public school legally does, and that's recruiting, that's bringing people in, and that's reaching out to kids in public schools in your area and offering them something better. I was talking about this on the sidelines to Gary Patrick last week when we were at the Williamstown Wheeling Central game. if you're Wheeling Central, there almost ought to be somebody on your staff that's sole job is to keep an eye on every other school in the area, watch film on Wheeling Park, watch film on Shady Side. watch film on Martins Ferry. And if there's a player on those rosters that is buried at a position that you know that you need, and say you're short of running backs and there's somebody on the third team at Wheeling Park that would start at Wheeling Central then maybe you reach out to those kids, and maybe that's how. I don't know if you feel needs in high school football the way you feel needs in college. I can only guess because I've not talked to anyone from a Catholic school about this issue. I think that's the biggest thing that people have problems with because you see it a lot in basketball where you've got teams that are basically AAA teams. Greater Beckley Christian, by the way. So it's not just a Catholic school issue. It is a private school issue. Greater Beckley Christian in basketball, and I don't know if most people saw this, they just received a big-time transfer from Woodrow Wilson, and I want to say another from Spring Valley. So Greater Beckley Christian is going to be loaded in Class A boys this year. We see the same thing with Huntington St. Joe's in boys and girls. The girls team a few years ago, they played St. Mary's in the state tournament, and I can't remember which round. I don't believe it was the year that they met in the title game, or at least one of them, but it was the year they met in the tournament. Uh, They had a girl that was going to UNC Charlotte. They had a girl that was going to Notre Dame. The UNC Charlotte girl wasn't even a senior, so there are some programs and some sports that really seem to do a good job of luring the best athletes, and others don't do that as well. I'm not going to offer too many answers on the reclassification, the private public school issue, I will say this. I will say there almost needs to be a committee that's set forth by the WVSSAC to look at that issue, because that issue's not going away until it is adequately addressed. And even then, it may not be adequately addressed. And that could be the logic of the WVSSAC here. They may look at this issue and say, you know, no matter what we do, nothing's going to change. People are still going to complain to complain, and people are still going to find loopholes in laws that exist that aren't meant to be taken advantage of and those loopholes are going to be used to shift competitive balance. I know there's already a competitive balance committee or something like that and they discuss rule changes over the summertime but like I said, I feel like there almost needs to be a task force to take on this issue. How can we make this more fair for more of the small schools? Small school sports used to be about the Cinderella community that wins a state championship in something and that really raises that community to a level of prestige that they would otherwise not have. It's a chance to give that community something really cool to cheer for. And by and large, we don't have that in as many sports as we should. I kind of tend to agree in a lot of ways, and I've come to this after a long time. I wasn't always here, but I came to it after a long time. I asked Fred Persinger one time about this when he came on a show of mine. You want to put this issue to bed? Beat these private schools. Find out a way to beat them. I'm not sure that the talent equality is going to be there in basketball like it is in football, but in football, we've already seen it proven that it can be done. St. Mary's, Williamstown, East Hardy, they've all put out great programs and programs that can be perennial contenders regardless of what Catholic schools do. Also, it doesn't hurt that Mike Young, Wheeling Central's head football coach, is probably one of the best coaches in any sport in this state. But I don't know. I feel like almost as a public relations issue, the SSAC needs to maybe make a task force to look at this issue specifically and then come out with a report, come out with some findings, and go from there. But the one that I'm going to most agree with, and this came from our good friend, Dave St. Peter, our play by play guy on Light Rock 93R, universal start time for games. Yes, yes, yes. I cannot like that enough. Cannot agree with that enough. I am tired sick to death and tired of trying to figure out every week whether games we cover start at 7 or seven thirty. every year at the beginning of the year you go through this process you look up the games you look up the schedules only to find out halfway through that some team put in their schedule wrong or that some school has switched to this or did that at the last minute and now the game is starting at 7 when it's supposed to have started at seven thirty. it is a minor inconvenience we do have to scramble a lot of times to make up for that, and I've had to do that a number of times myself, or I've had to scramble to make up for a kick that I thought was a half hour later than it was. From a radio station programming standpoint, it does make things difficult. We do our best at Seven Rangers Radio to make our three broadcasts sound as streamlined as possible, and that includes countdown to kickoff at the beginning of the program. Either it's a half hour, either it's 60 minutes. It started as a 60 minute show, but more and more as I go on producing the show, it's been reduced to 30 minutes more often than it's not anymore. I am scheduled to do more 30 minute countdown to kickoffs this year than ever before. But there's a bigger reason I think to do this. And that is from a marketing standpoint. And we do so much to market high school football in this state for goodness sakes. AT&T Sportsnet just picked up a Metro News television broadcast of Parkersburg and Morgantown. That game was broadcast in millions of homes around the region. And if your satellite provider had AT&T Sportsnet and you lived in Colorado, you could watch the Big Reds and the Mohegans. You could watch them anywhere that had AT&T Sportsnet. So if you're going to that length to market high school football, corporate sponsors... With games on cable television, not to mention games that are on local TV, because we have WTAP locally that does that. used to have Network West Virginia that did games on a tape-delay basis, but still. But if you've got all of that power going into getting these games out there and into producing these games, and if you want to get people to these games, set a universal start time. So where people know, in West Virginia, if there's a high school football game in your area, it starts at this time. Everyone knows that. There's no question. And you put that out there, 7 o'clock is football time. 7.30 is football time, whatever it is. And this is especially true as we go on later in the year, because once the clocks change, once we get later in the year, and those lights are used at the beginning of games, because now, really, you know, we played most of the first quarter last week in most of these games under daylight. We play the second quarter in dusk. There's going to be times where it'll be 6 o'clock and people will be driving around of, and the lights will be on already. There's no better marketing tool than that. It's like a bat signal into the sky. And if you're on the fence about going to a game and you see those lights on, like, all right, let's go to the game here. I'm not saying that's going to get everybody in, but it certainly can't hurt. And it certainly can't hurt if we all know without a question when these games start. So you market it better, you can draw a bigger crowd that way, and there is no ambiguity whatsoever on when these games happen to be played. I want to thank Dave St. Peter. I want to thank Craig Dutton. I want to thank Eric Johnson for responding to that question. I kind of like the poll idea, and of course, even in the poll idea, you can respond. I'll ask you to do that again this week. But again, standard kick times, my rule change. We'll have another poll for you this week to answer on our Facebook page. Like us on Facebook, the Eric Little High School Football Podcast, and vote in the polls. And if you add comments and feedback, I'll do my best to get your name on the podcast, and we'll talk about the issues that you have brought up. Of course, you can email us Oh private message if you have questions and post on our statuses. And if you've got an issue worth talking about, we'll discuss it on the show. Some games of the week this week. You have to look at the defending Class A runners-up St. Mary's as they open up against an unfamiliar foe, Class AA Scott. And we really don't know what to expect out of this game because St. Mary's is not the St. Mary's they've been. They do not have the firepower they've had. A new quarterback is Brennan Boron. He's a sophomore. Uh, He's not going to have the strong arm and the athleticism that Eric Eiler has. But as our analyst on 93R, John Mike Nichols said last week on the Countdown to Kickoff program, he's smart. He's a quick learner. So you're going to have to bear with him for a little bit as he gets used to that offense. A lot of things that are unfamiliar, that being one of them, the the fact that we just don't know what kind of St. Mary's we're going to get. But it's a different opener. St. Mary's had a bye in week one. It's not an opener against Ritchie County. That's different. And it's an opener against the Scott Skyhawks, a Class AA team from the southern part of the state that people in this area just don't and have not identified with. We'll see how that goes as uh, St. Mary's opens against Class AA Scott. That one's a game of the week just because of the curiosity factor. How about Williamstown and Magnolia? That might be the best matchup because Williamstown had the pieces, but not the execution against Wheeling Central. Magnolia looks sharp. Three touchdown passes from Patrick Morandi. They've got a tough schedule this year, as does Williamstown, and it doesn't really get a lot easier after this. Williamstown has Magnolia this week, then Marietta, Ravenswood, and Buffalo. Those are all road games. Williamstown's not home again until September 28th when they face St. Mary's. They do have four straight home games before going on the road to Doddridge County. That's a tough schedule because Doddridge County is getting some attention as being one of the better teams in the area. St. Mary's and Tyler consolidated in the middle of that schedule also, and Ravenswood got a win against Wahama in Week 1. So Williamstown's schedule is no walk in the park. They could be 0-4 by the time they get to Buffalo. It's not inconceivable that that happens for Williamstown this year. So this is a big one. They need to come out and at least put up a good effort and show some fans and show show their team that things are improving. Magnolia started with Sherman and they got a big shutout in week one they have Center at home this week then they go on the road to Shady Side, a perennial power in Ohio and then they go across the river to face their rival River they have Frontier at home they got Monroe Central a team that's under some transition they finish up with St. Mary's Tyler Consolidated and Wheeling Central to finish the season the three games at home to finish the season that's the good news but again St. Mary's is always tough and the Blue Devils uh, will likely be on the fringe of making the playoffs this year if things go as we expect them to go so the Blue Devils are going to be really motivated in that game and the same with not consolidated. They likely uh, have their playoff hopes on the line and then a bye week before the Wheeling Central game for Magnolia. So this is a very important one for both of those schools. PHS in Cabell Midland this week as well. PHS breaks in the new turf at Stadium Field off of a difficult loss last week. The Big Reds allowed a lot of rushing yards and Cabell Midland has one of the best running backs in the state in Ivan Vaughn. Some of his numbers, seven carries in the first half, 192 rushing yards, three touchdowns. He also had a 40-yard touchdown catch. Again, that's seven carries in the first half and 192 yards and three scores. That's Ivan Vaughn. Give me Vaughn. Calvin Midland has no problem running the ball. PHS had some problems stopping the run last week. That's going to be an interesting matchup on Friday. Saturday is Parkersburg Catholic and Ritchie County, a pair of teams that we didn't quite expect to be 1-0 when they face each other. That game has been moved to Saturday night at Stadium Field. they were going to try to play at Dondrum Stadium in Marietta, but that's been nixed. So they'll play at Stadium Field Saturday night. Rick Haught in his first year as coach of Ritchie County. The newly engaged Lance Binniger in his second year with Parkersburg Catholic. That should be a fun matchup of a couple 1-0 teams Teams, and We're going to learn more about what those teams do. Well, a lot of good skill players in this matchup, even if the depth isn't there. That should be an above-average game if you want good small-school football Saturday night stadium field. Next week's poll question. What's your preferred kickoff time and why? Do you prefer when games kick off at 7 o'clock Friday or 7.30 Friday and why? You have to have a reason behind this one. There are good reasons for both. There really are. And I'll get into it more next week when we have that poll question. But again, what's your preferred kickoff time and why? 7 or 7.30. You can find that on our Facebook page, The Eric Little High School Football Podcast on Facebook. Like us there and we'll have all the latest for you on our Facebook page. Don't forget, countdown to kickoff. Friday at 6 p.m. on our three stations, Light Rock 93R, V96.9, and WXCR. Our games of the week, St. Mary's takes on Scott on 93R this week. It's a 7.30 kick, so the full hour of Countdown to Kickoff will air on Light Rock 93R. V96.9 has Parkersburg South and University as the Patriots take on the University Hawks. The team that's one and oh in this matchup is not the team you'd expect. University got upset by John Marshall, and of course as the season goes on, that might not be an upset, but University's got Logan Holgerson, that's Dana's son, Amir Richardson, WVU recruit. Parkersburg South got a big effort from Nick Yoho in week one, as we said earlier. They're the ones that are one and oh. University's 0-1. That happens at Erickson All Sports Facility. Seven o'clock kickoff. We'll have countdown to kick off at six on V969. And then WXCR has Tyler Consolidated and Doddridge. Doddridge is one and after a big win against South Harrison. They got some attention for that win. They are up to five in this week's Metro News Power Rankings. Tyler consolidated off of a tough loss, and many would say an upset loss to Ritchie County last week. We'll see if they can bounce back against the Bulldogs. So again, Light Rock 93RS, St. Mary's, and Scott on Friday. Parkersburg South University on V96.9, and Tyler consolidated and Doddridge County on WXCR. All three of those games on Friday on the stations of 7 Rangers Radio. Don't forget, you can download this podcast and subscribe to it on iTunes. You can listen to us on SoundCloud as well. Rate us, review us, write us in to let us know how we're doing. Of course, the Facebook page can take So, If you have concerns, let me know. If you have questions you'd like to have addressed on the podcast, I'd feel free to talk about those. If you post those on our page, if you respond to one of our statuses, or if you send a message privately on Facebook. That'll do it for us. Episode 5 of the High School Football Podcast is in the can. My name is Eric Little. Enjoy the games. We'll talk to you next week for another edition of the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. And thanks for listening, everyone. This has been the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and vote in our weekly poll. Come back next week for another new episode. Episode, and thanks for listening. Give me more.